Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I have a brand new style of podcast that I've never done before coming at you today and I am so excited about it. I was so interested when Tanya reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to have a conversation with her about kids and body image and intuitive eating. And so we asked our communities to send us a couple of questions about kids and motherhood and body image. And so we got a couple questions from both of our communities about kids and body image, teaching kids how to eat intuitively, how to stop comparing ourselves to others online, and how to remove ourselves from diet talk or diet conversations, and how to kind of set boundaries and protect ourselves around that so we can kind of stay in our own lane. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce Tanya, and we'll jump right into our conversation. So Tanya Shaw is a sought-after lifestyle coach, keynote speaker, founder of Ascend Fitness and Lifestyle, a holistic health coaching studio in Chilliwack, BC, and the Whole You Transformation Project. Tanya has built a credible reputation for helping thousands of men and women ditch the diets, find real health, and feel good in their bodies so they can have the freedom to fully experience life. Tanya, her husband Keith, and their son Jacob live in Chilliwack, BC, about an hour outside of Vancouver, Canada. She loves being active outdoors, such as running, hiking, paddleboarding, mountain biking, and camping. She also loves a good cup of coffee and a glass of red wine. What Tanya doesn't know now is I'm about to show up on her doorstep because that all sounds awesome, and I totally think we could be friends in real life. So without further ado, I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. Living a healthy, balanced life as a mom can sometimes feel impossible. With tiny mouths to feed, butts to wipe, and so many things vying for our attention, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe every mom is a super mom, and you deserve to feel like one too, and you don't have to go on another diet to do it. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor for conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life. I want to help you uncomplicate eating, improve your relationship with food, and live like the supermama I know you are. All right, so we're going to start with a little bit of an icebreaker question, and I would love for you to share three things about yourself that your listeners and my listeners might not know. Oh my gosh. Well, this is a true icebreaker because I have not had much time to think about this. So I'm trying to think of three good things that they might not know about me. Um, so well, the first thing um, I was just sharing with you before we before we hopped on is that I live on a little island off the coast of New England. Um, so we live in Rhode Island, but Rhode Island's not an island, though some people do think it is. Uh, but we live on a little island off the coast of Rhode Island, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's a tourist destination, but we live love it. Um, the second thing, oh, this is what I always use whenever there's an icebreaker in like group settings. And that is that I am a black belt. I have not practiced karate in a really long time. (laughs) Um, it's been about 10 years, um, but I did it for a whole decade and I went through my black belt training in high school with my dad, which was really fun. And I got my black belt in high school. And let me see. 
Oh, the last thing, we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, body image and nutrition and kids and and all that, but I'm actually a trained chef. Um, This was like kind of my in-between career where I went to school for nutrition. I became a chef and worked as a chef for a while, a personal chef um, in Toronto when we lived up there. And then I came back and refocused on nutrition. So just a few fun things. I would love to hear a few fun facts about you too. All right. So I just recently actually posted on Instagram when those get to know you posts. So some of it's going to be from there. Uh, One is when I was 17 years old, I actually won the Canada Winter Games in pistol shooting of all things. That's so cool. (laughs) And it was actually kind of was, it came so naturally to me to pistol shoot and it's funny because since then, and since this whole you know, development and personal growth and everything, I've been always trying to learn how to meditate. But when I was 17, I was so good at being able to shut off everything else around me and get into this very meditative state where I could lower my heart rate and really focus. And yeah, it was quite interesting. It was in, it was in uh, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, and I was 17 and I had very short platinum blonde hair and managed to win. So that was super fun. Um, another kind of athletic one is that two years ago, I learned how to snowboard and it was actually my first time learning something very new in a long time. And I absolutely loved it. I was very determined that I was going to learn because in the past I had tried it once or twice before when I was in my early twenties and I owned the story at the time that I wasn't good at it. I didn't like it. I hated the cold. I hated the snow. I hated any snow sport that didn't really expel a lot of calories or burn a lot of calories. So I liked things like snowshoeing and cross-country skiing, but I told myself that I didn't like snowboarding. Anyways, I learned and I absolutely love it. I love it. It's been so fun. And my third one is that just recently I have joined Toastmasters so that I can get better at public speaking and doing workshops and keynote speaks, uh, spe- speeches and motivational speech, uh, speaking. And it has been quite a learning opportunity and something that I actually find quite challenging, even though we do talk a lot on the podcast. It's been quite fun to put some more intention behind the learning. So those are three things about me. And Yeah, so we're going to get started with a bit of a conversation about some of the questions that we've had from our listeners. And the first one is all about raising kids with a positive body image. And specifically, the question read is, as a mom, how are you raising girls with good body image. And Kristen, that one came from your listeners. So do you want to take that one first? Yeah, sure. This is a topic that I'm so passionate about. As a mom of two little girls myself, I mean, they're only six and two now, um, but really just, you know, for moms of, of any children of any age, I think this is so important because I struggled for a really long time with disordered eating and disordered body image and really finding my balance took me decades. And my hope for my kids is that it doesn't take them decades and they're, you know, they're raised knowing that they are beautiful exactly how they are. Um, And not even necessarily beautiful, but they're just accepted exactly how they are. So I think honestly, it really starts with you. Ultimately, it starts with the way that you talk about yourself and really recognizing the way that um, as moms, we speak about ourselves around our kids and the language that we use about ourselves. Um, You know, not saying negative things about our bodies around our kids. I know it's totally natural to sometimes still think those things about our bodies. Um, And we obviously want to work on moving away from that, but it's really powerful. And I think that our kids are listening a lot and we we might not notice them listening or we might not think they're listening. We think they're hearing the comments we make about our body, um, but I think that that's really powerful. Um, and really just the language itself is really important. So not focusing on the size or the shape of our bodies or their bodies, but the qualities about them that truly matter. So 
you know, rather than, you know, making comments about them being small or them being big, but making comments about, you know, the things that they have accomplished and how hard they're working in their, you know, in their, with their school or, you know, learning a new skill and really taking the focus off of our bodies, which, I mean, they're already going to get that from society, I think. So I think it really does start with you and the way you talk about yourself um, and then your language when, when you talk about them and kind of taking the focus off of that. And the last thing that popped into my head is just that um, making different sizes and shapes normal and accepted. And I know that many of us who are on, you know, the journey to really living, um, you know, I talk a lot about intuitive eating and body image just in general, but um, living a really balanced life or are working on this in our own lives. Um, and we don't tend to talk about other people, even if we're thinking things about other people. Um, but I think just making it the norm that we don't think differently about people who are a different size or a different shape or any, you know, who have differences because it doesn't matter. We're all people and what matters is how we care for and treat our bodies and other people, not the size. So I think that's what I had for that. I have a whole bunch of notes here. And by the way, Kristen, when you're talking, I can hear your smile in your voice and I can see it because I'm actually watching you <laughs> on recording, but your smile comes through in your voice and it is really lovely to listen to. So I appreciate that. When I'm, when you're talking, I'm just checking off all the points that I have put up for myself to add on. So I don't have a lot else to say. I'm going to echo the fact that your kids are listening and they pick up so much more than you think they do. My, I have one child. He's a son, My son Jacob is 10 and we have something in our house called, we call it the swear jar, although it doesn't actually exist. We just call it the swear jar. And apparently every time my husband Keith swears or I swear, we have to put a dollar in it. It doesn't exist. If it did, it would be full of money right now. <laughs> but Jacob could be far away and we don't think he's paying attention. And then you say a word that starts with an F or an SH and right away he's like, dad, like they, they pick up everything and they are so like, as a parent, as a role model, you are such a huge influence on your children. And absolutely it does start with you and how you speak to yourself and even the simple habits, like sometimes it's so seemingly innocent. Like you put on a, a dress, maybe to get, go out and you're like, oh, I don't like the way that looks or I feel fat in that. Or maybe you have a ritual of a daily weigh-in or you weigh yourself weekly and your kid sees that. Like they're going to pick up on those things. So be so aware of it. And then the other thing I think that is really important is that what you said there about the bodies being just accepted like and neutral, kids are born before we put our own judgments and our own <laughs> things on them, just with accepting all body shapes. So for quite a while, my, my, my son would touch my body and he would touch my arms and he would call me chubby. And it didn't mean anything to him. It just meant that I was softer than he was. And there was no judgment. If he sees someone in a fat body, he's just like, oh, it's just that, it's just that person has more body fat. It's nothing bad. It just is. And the more you can just encourage that, just the acceptance, like I said, it just is. It's a it's like we all have different color eyes, we have different color shoes, we have different color, different sizes of bodies. Then it becomes just a fact of physical difference and not any kind of judgment behind it. And then the other thing I want to just note on, well, actually two more things. One is that the question originally was about girls and body image and the body image is not just a female problem. We talk about it more mostly in girls because it's easier to talk about or women talk about it more, but it absolutely affects men and boys and boys with eating disorders is I think the number one like fastest growing cohort of the population with eating disorder. So it is going to apply to every single person. And so just be aware of that, of how you speak to your sons as well and the kids and the, and the boys that you have influence on. And the second thing I want to point on is that it can start so early. So many of my clients will tell me that it happened when they were five years old or when they were eight years old. And like you said yourself too, Kristen, like it, your kids are listening and it really starts right away. So be very aware of your language, of the messages that you might be 
giving to your child. And I think the number one thing, like, like I just said, is to become aware of it. And once you become more aware and you understand the influence that you have on the young ones, then you can start to really put some intention into your language and perhaps shifting some things that you might need to shift. Yeah, so. I love that. I love that you made that point too, that it's it's not just girls. I have girls and I am a girl. So that is my experience, but it's not just girls. It's boys too. And like, I know my husband works in a career where he has to be weighed consistently. And like my husband's a very small dude, just in nature. He's half Asian. So he's just naturally small. Um, and you know, different people of different races or different sizes, but he is, he's that like classic, he's a small guy. So it's never really been a thing for him, but he, like his entire life has been weighed for sports and he notices how that can be a trigger. And he's like developed these like mini, um, like disordered eating habits. Not that he, he doesn't have them now, but he did like when he was, you know, he had to like weigh less for an event that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And he was really pressured because he was the guy who was, you know, more fit than some of the other guys on the boat. So he could easily get his weight down. And it really became something that was a struggle for him at times. Um, and I'm, I don't, I don't even know. I didn't even ask him if he'd be okay with me talking about him. I'm not sharing his name, but I know I'm just thinking with my own experience, like, wow, like that is, I mean, there are women that work in his industry as well, but you know, that is something that I could see becoming a problem. So it's really interesting. And thank you for, for mentioning that. Yeah. And then our next question that we got another listener question is how do you teach intuitive eating style to kids? And maybe I'll take this one first, cause I know you're going to have a lot to say on it as well. And I think the biggest one here is that kids don't need to be taught. They need to be unlearned is that when kids are born, they are naturally an intuitive eater. And then we put on all of our food rules and eating rules onto them. And you must clean your plate. You can't have dessert until you eat your dinner, blah, blah, blah. And we teach them not to trust their own bodies because kids will very naturally sometimes eat hardly anything at all. And sometimes they will eat all the things depending on what their body needs. And when you get into intuitive eating as an adult, you're going to have a very similar experience too, where some days you can go all day and eat hardly at all because you're just simply not hungry. And some days you are feeling like you could really eat all the things. A really great resource for uh, that I follow for teaching kids and for helping kids and well, really helping adults <laughs> help uh, plan meals in your day is the Ellen, Sat I think it's called Ellen Satter Web Institute. And it's one that you follow as well. Yeah, I was going to mention her. <laughs> yeah, it's, Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family is her book. And it is one of my favorites. I actually have it behind me, like over here on my bookshelf. <laughs> She's great. It is fantastic. And she talks about the division, the division of responsibility where as parents, as caregivers, you need to set the meal times and set what you eat or what, what's going to be on the meals and have very specific meal times. You're not just, it's not a free for all that your kid can eat anytime that they want because they do need to start to become hungry for meals, but they get to decide whether or not they eat or which foods of their choices they decide to eat and also how much. So often we have these food rules because of our own upbringing. And I think it's also really important to appreciate where we came from because right now we have an overabundance of food and it wasn't always like that. So my parents, for example, my dad was born at the tail end of World War II and he was born in a very, like he, he, it was extreme poverty when he was growing up and absolutely you cleaned up your plate because there might not ever be food for, for the rest of the day. And there was never, like they were always, always hungry. And so while my dad fortunately was actually very, like we, we just ate normally as kids. I, I don't ever, I never struggled with eating as a child. That happened a little bit later, <laughs> later on into my teenage years and early twenties. But those kind of, I think it's just important to recognize and to appreciate where we, where these things come from. And I also wanted just to chime in that sometimes we have these ideas that the way we used to do things were best. Like for example, I have people 
especially my generation who say they couldn't leave the table until they ate, ate their peas and they gagged on peas and they hated peas. And now we think that we should be able to do that with our children. But there's no really telling whether that was the right thing to do anyway, because look at us now as a population. So many people have problems with food. People are overeating or not listening to their bodies or using food for lots of different reasons. So did it, was that the correct thing to do? I think it's just important to know that there's lots of different ways and not to think that there's only one way to feed your child or I mean, I used to be the perfect mom before I had kids, you know? Like, <laughs> yes, I love that. Like, that, was, that was awesome. And now, I mean, last night, Jacob and I had a, we had a fight at the table because he would not eat, he would not try the food and it drove me freaking nuts. And I was probably, was not the example of the perfect parent at that point either. I'm sure I said some things I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what your thoughts on that one. Well, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> My six-year-old is quite strong-willed and she has gone through many phases when it comes to her eating. When she was really young, she would eat all of the things, like anything I gave her. And she still eats a lot of foods that a lot of kids, other kids wouldn't think of eating. Like she loves raw oysters. She loves anchovies. Like she loves a ton of vegetables. So it's really funny. Um, but we'll still have fights sometimes about like, she, she won't eat anything and then she'll demand something else. And I'm like, well, that's not really how it works. <laughs> we provide a meal as a family and you can eat it or not eat it. And I think the, the point that you made is, and I, I really, I agree with all of your points and I don't even, I just kind of have some stuff to expand upon them really. Cause I, I loved everything that you shared. Um, I think it's really important to serve meals as a family and not just cater to um, to our kids, but at the same time, allow them choice um, when it comes to eating. And so provide those opportunities throughout the day for choice. Like we'll give a couple choices for breakfast. And if she doesn't want either of them, well, then maybe you'll go hungry. <laughs> One of the most, not go hungry, but you know, for that meal, typically we like her to have something for breakfast. So it energizes her morning for school, but we give her a couple of choices. She's allowed to make that choice for herself. Um, and we have gone through some struggles where she'll all out refuse food. And I don't get concerned because one of the most powerful things I learned way back in college in my life cycle nutrition class was that kids self-regulate. And just like you said, some days they'll eat barely anything and sometimes they'll eat a whole ton. We are born intuitive eaters. We're born with this natural ability to listen to our body's own cues for hunger and fullness and preferences. And I think it's important to honor our kids' hunger and their fullness and their preferences, but also provide that structure. And that's why I love Ellen Satter too. She's my favorite resource I provide to moms all the time when it comes to figuring out kind of how to feed your kids. Um, it really is all about that division of responsibility where the parent provides and the child decides. So we provide regular meal times. We do allow our kids to snack if they're hungry between meals, but we don't let them snack all day long. Now, that being said, I mentioned my six-year-old because I'm like, she eats a whole bunch of different foods. She eats a variety. And that's something big that I think is really important is providing that variety of foods. They become exposed to a variety of different foods. But her little sister is two, and she has, over at least over the last two years, been exposed to a very similar variety of foods, and she is a lot more selective. I don't love using the P word, but mm, she falls under that category. <laughs> She's very selective about food. And there are many a nights where the last night we had one of our favorite recipes as a family that she often devours is this like sweet potato kale and beef stew. And she picked out three, three pieces of beef, said all done and pushed her bowl away. And I'm like, all right, it is what it is. I offered it again just to see if, you know, she was just kind of distracted and she was like, nope, that's all I want. And we kind of have to let it go and move on. So rather than forcing our food, or like you said, that old notion of forcing our kids to clean their plate, that creates that disconnect within their bodies. So I think encouraging connection to their bodies, providing that structure around mealtimes and providing choice, but within, you know, within reason, right? So just encouraging their natural ability to, to listen to their bodies and tell you when they're hungry and when they're full. So 
yeah, I think that's all I have. <laughs> yeah, and actually, since you're talking, I have one more thing I want to add to you just about desserts. And this is because up quite a bit too, because we think that we shouldn't give our child or children desserts until they finish their, their food. Mm-hmm. And that can be quite challenging as well. And that's a kind of, there's a, a lot of gray areas there too, because you don't necessarily want your child just to not eat anything because they're going to get their ice cream after dinner. But it's also sometimes you don't want to force your child to be overly full and to eat past fullness just so they can have dessert because they want dessert. And so it's about learning your child and again, offering a wide variety, like I said, a wide variety of foods. But I think that's one thing that gets in the way sometimes too, just thinking that they need to eat their, someone that I see commonly, you need to finish your, your dinner before you have dessert. And maybe you want to enjoy dessert without being absolutely stuffed and that's okay. My son says he has two stomachs, one for food and one for dessert. <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Who am I to say anything different? So the next question that we have, and this was, was from in front of uh, my listeners or Instagram posts. I couldn't remember where it came from. Was just simply, how do you stop comparing yourself to social media or other online images? And so Kristen, I'd love to hear what you say, have to say about that one. Oh my gosh, this is so huge, right? I think we are in a world now that is more connected than ever. And I think we are exposed to more people and more of people's lives than we ever have been. And I think that what that creates is exactly what this reader or listener is talking about. And that's that this comparison with other people because we see more of their lives and we see or we think we see more of their lives and um than we have before you know usually we used to see people just when we saw them or we would talk to them on the phone but now there's instagram and facebook and all the other socials that i don't use (laughs) um but i think the recognition that what we see more often than not on social media is the highlight reel It's not really, I mean, it's maybe a peek into their lives, um, but there are filters and there are apps and there is selection of the images that they choose and the things that they choose to say. It's all curated, right? And to some extent, um, we know about Photoshopping when it comes to celebrities, but I don't think we necessarily think about it when it comes to Instagram influencers or even, you know, our good friends that we see on Instagram, we see them doing all these fun things and we're not seeing the mundane of their lives that all of us live. We're not seeing most of the hard moments. We're seeing that highlight reel. Um, and especially when we're, you know, as women comparing ourselves and our bodies to these women we see online, it's recognizing that just like with Photoshop, it's most women don't look like that. Most men too, you know, same deal when we're talking about, you know, looking at, you know, you know, fitness influencers or things like that. And they oftentimes don't even look like that. There's poses, there's filters, there's, um, there's apps for that. Right. Um, so I think, you know, just recognizing the reality that we, we see people more than we ever have, but we might not actually be seeing a greater glimpse into their lives. We might just be seeing their highlight reel. Um, and when it comes to their, their families, when it comes to their food, when it comes to their bodies. Um, and so I think a tool to help you stop comparing yourself to that aside from recognizing it and having that kind of reality check to yourself when you're scrolling and you're going like, Oh, like, I just, I don't look like that. Or like, you know, I don't make meals that look that good. Or like, why is their family always so happy? <laughs> yeah. I don't post many pictures of my family looking unhappy. Cause that's not that fun to look at. <laughs> I post the pictures of my like smiling kids before they like throw the thing on the floor and have a tantrum <laughs> because you know, that's what people want to see. We want to, we want to be encouraged. But a lot of times when we think we're being encouraging, we can actually um, kind of perpetuate this idea, right, of this like, you know, perfect life or this, you know, perfect body or perfect home or whatever it is. So I think um, removing the triggers for the things that are, that we see coming up and that we see ourselves comparing to and doing sort of like a digital detox. It's the only detox you'll hear me recommend. <laughs> and going through and going and really like editing your feed. And it's okay to mute or to unfollow the things that make you feel bad about yourself or make you feel less than, or that you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to, even if it's just for a while, while you get yourself to a place where you are working on your mindset and where you are 
feeling like you are living your life in alignment to your values. And then maybe you can add some of that back in and see if it's still triggering to you. Um, but yeah, I think those are my biggest things. It's just recognizing the reality of it and removing those triggers when you see them. Um, it, it, sometimes it is out of sight, out of mind, and also including people who do, um, you know, women, men, families who do represent, um, that like realistic view when you can, right. Just because just to mix it up a little bit. So you're not constantly comparing yourself. Um, I don't know. That was kind of an add on. So I think that's what I've got. And, you know, obviously working on your mindset around you and your body and your life and asking yourself why you're criticizing yourself or why you're comparing yourself to that person, what you've made it mean about you when you see this person and you're comparing yourself in that way. So I hope that was helpful. (laughs) Those are all really excellent points. I love what you said there about curating and architecting your environment and following and unfollowing the things that are going to be inspiring to you. And one thing I love about Instagram, I don't know if Facebook does this, I don't think it does, but just following specific hashtags like intuitive eating or ditch diet culture or whatever. And there's so many, there's so many great feeds out there are just about mental health and mental, like, and just being okay. And I definitely have a lot of that. So when I go into Instagram, I'm like, oh, I feel so good. It makes me feel like I'm okay. So you can definitely architect your environment. And I, I also really want to echo what you said there about when you do start comparing yourself, what is that saying about yourself? And we generally, like, for example, if you're going to be going out to a shopping center and ask Christmas time almost, and you're going Christmas shopping and you start judging other people or you start comparing yourself, it is always, almost always, maybe not, maybe always a reflection on something that's going on internally. And so you're absolutely right. Like that's, there is some work that needs to be done and to start to get curious about why that is triggering for you. And just to really recognize that other people's success doesn't mean you're a failure. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm less than because no, that's just different. And you are also absolutely right about people doing, like just posting things that are positive. Like I don't want to take, I will not feel excited to post a picture of me in bad lighting where I have a double chin and you can see all the dimples on my butt. Like, why well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> or you're right. Like when your family's super unhappy or when you're unhappy, you don't want to take photos. You don't feel inspired to post. So you really have to be aware of that. I mean, just recently back in October, my husband and I did a, a trail race here in Chilliwack and there was a picture of us at the end of the race, we were, did a relay team and we looked all happy and everything. And I got a whole bunch of comments. Isn't that so awesome? You guys did it together and blah, blah, blah. We had like a pretty heated fight that day. It was actually a really rough day for both of us. And so I'm like, here I am posting on social media this morning, this great photo of him and I. And the real story is that we are just at each other and really not seeing eye to eye and having like, we did not, I did not feel good in my relationship that day. So just really recognizing that you're only seeing so much. And I know we, we know it, but to really remind yourself of that. And then when you do catch yourself too, like your thoughts or sayings, when you're thinking certain things, recognizing that thoughts are just thoughts and their words and sentences and that you can actually start to shift that. You can, from, from saying, or whatever you're thinking about how she's so much prettier, so much fitter, or I'm, I feel so like so fat and unhealthy because this person has a size eight body or whatever, you can absolutely catch those thoughts and start to become aware of them and start to shift them. And that takes time. It takes practice. But I think that the first step, like you said, Kristen, is to just architect your environment and unfollow the things you want to unfollow. And if you can't find anything, I always recommend following cute kittens because that's always nice to have on your feed. <laughs> I love that. That's a great tip. <laughs> <laughs> when, or, or food meals. I always think looking at food pictures too. Not that I ever make any of the stuff that I see from like, it's so pretty. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard to be mad at food. <laughs> I know. It's, it's pretty neutral, so it's good. Um, yeah, I think we have time for one more. Yeah, let's do, do it. More. So we have do it. We have one more question, and 
this one also came from a listener. It's essentially I'm recovering from disordered eating. So Kristen, your story is very is very similar to mine, like overcoming disordered eating, perfectionism, lots of fear of food, lots of uh, yeah, being all on, being on, just wasting so much of your mental life energy on things that ultimately are not worth that much energy. So we're on this path to recovering from disordered eating, trying to listen to your body, trying to let go of the endless pursuit of perfectionism, weight loss, et cetera. But then a friend tells me about the plan that they're doing. So it could be keto, et cetera. And I get triggered. I all of a sudden want to start you know, doing that plan. I start to investigate it. How can I shield myself from this? And I think this is a really good question because it's also very similar to what you might get around the holidays of just now that you're going to be around more people, just people might comment about your food choices or your weight gain or your weight loss or things that might be somewhat triggering. So do you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. I mean, first, honestly, I think the tips that we gave on comparison above are really huge. And I know we're talking probably more like real life than we are social media, but it can be, it can also be true when we see somebody trying something new, um, on social media. But I think when you can knowing that first of all, it's okay to remove yourself from these conversations really politely. Um, when you're feeling really triggered, I recommend this to clients a lot and it can be really scary and uncomfortable at first, especially if it's somebody you love and admire and respect. And, um, but, you know, saying something like, you know, I'm, I'm really working on, on listening to my own body and, you know, working on finding balance in my life or something like super simple than that, like that you don't need to call them out or tell them that what they're doing is, you know, you don't believe in it or anything like that. Um, but I think that it is important to, to, especially when we're early on in this journey to eating more intuitively and learning how to respect our bodies and find what truly works for us to protect ourselves and have boundaries in these sort of situations. Um, and I know that that's the uncomfortable answer, <laughs> but I think it is really powerful to learn how to respect yourself in that way and recognize that these situations are triggers and you could, you know, simply excuse yourself or you could say something, you know, like I'm, working on, you know, what works for me or, you know, something really simple. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, but I think it's also really helpful in these situations to remind yourself of what you're gaining from not engaging in these behaviors. If you've engaged in these behaviors before and they've affected your life negatively, what are you gaining the freedom from not engaging in these behaviors or going on this diet or plan, not the perceived benefit of what they will give you either from the media or from your friend that's sharing with you, but the actual freedom that you have experienced as you're working on listening to your body and moving away from that and not being controlled by food or dieting behaviors. What has that given you? And focusing on that, focusing on the positive things that not dieting and not going on this plan has already given you. So, and that's can be really powerful to, to keep you from these things kind of becoming a trigger rather than focusing on, oh, now I'm triggered. Now I want to go keto or whatever it is. Remind yourself that, wait a second, there's a reason I'm not doing these things. It's because I am unique and listening to my body and learning how to eat intuitively is a form of respecting my body. And it has given me all of these things. So I'm going to stick to that. And then if you need to, removing yourself from the conversation if it's really kind of becoming a problem. And I think you're right, like around the holidays and family gatherings and friend parties and things like that, there can be a lot of this because it's, it's the cultural norm. Um, so we have to kind of learn how to, um, how to set boundaries around that. I love, I love it. And I was just writing down here, you know, if we want to get into a heated conversation, you can either talk about like whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, politics or nutrition. Like it's like <laughs> yeah, if you, get, if you want to get really heated, so the less you talk about it, and the less like I love what you just said there. It's, you know, it's this is what we're working for me right now. This is what I'm doing, and make it a non, like not a big deal is yeah. such an important piece because a lot of these relationships are going to be important, and maybe it's someone that you're going to see on right, like your your mom or your dad. Like maybe you're going to see them on a regular basis, or they're in your circle, and that's the way it is. So making it a non-issue, just making it about just what you're doing in your path 
And if you are going to communicate with them about something, like if the, the communication doesn't need to happen, just plan your communication before you actually go and do it. And don't do it in the heat of the moment. Don't do it as soon as they say something and you get emotional and you start to go and um, respond back to them. So do it in a place where it's a planned conversation and that is your best bet for really communicating what you, what you feel and what you're working on and have them to be able to support you. The other thing I want to add on is, and you said this in your notes as well there, in your recommendation, I don't know what do you want to call it, but is to really keep focused on your goals and stay in your lane. And this goes to no matter what you are working on, the, the process of becoming an intuitive eater or ditching dieting or taking better care of yourself or finding that healthy balanced relationship with food or whatever goal you're working on, if you're creating a change, it's going to take a fair amount of thought energy, emotional energy, just our own resources. And when we keep focusing on what other people are doing, or we think about, oh, why is it so hard? Or why can that person do keto and lose 17 pounds? And I want, like, we just disperse all the energy that we need to make a change into other people's lanes. And we really need to stay focused. So keep reminding yourself of the journey that you're on. And what you said the other question was really powerful of, why you're doing it and all the gains that you're having from whatever goal you are trying to achieve and like just put your blinders on and keep focusing on what you are focusing on what you have decided that is going to be your next best thing and one thing i find that the simple statement of just saying something like oh well can be really powerful as a just a way to alleviate the pressure or alleviate the kind of the emotional turmoil that you might be experiencing when you get triggered or when you all of a sudden want to go do keto or intermittent fasting or um, the whole 30 or whatever, even though you've already decided that (laughs) you are done dieting and you need to do something different, you know, oh, well, like some people are born with amazing natural athletic abilities and some are not like, oh, well, let's not keep worrying about the problems and worrying about that we don't have it and being upset that we don't have it just oh well like this is my journey this is where I'm at this is my experience and move on from there yeah if I can I love that I love the oh well because it really just kind of makes it neutral and reminds us that like well this just isn't me but um what one of the things that I I talk to my clients with a lot about and something a tool that I have them use is and I think I posted about this on Instagram um recently too is just good for them not for me. And I just remind myself. And I mean, at this point in my journey, I'm not triggered by these type of conversations, but it took a really long time for me to get there. Um, Even as a professional to not be like, am I doing something wrong by not doing this thing? Mm -hmm. And I know now that I'm not, I'm doing everything right by doing what's right for me. But just reminding yourself that it's, you know, similar to this, you know, oh, well, that's, it's good for them but not for me. I'm doing what's good for me and they're doing what they believe to be good for them, whether or not we agree with that. So I think that can be really powerful. So I wanted to ask you, I know we're on air, but I forgot to ask you before (laughs) that I have three little rapid fire questions that I ask my guests at the end of every episode. And since we're sharing this to both of our podcasts, would you like to answer those with me? Yes, let's do it. Fun. (laughs) Surprise. I know I was going to ask you before and I'm like, let's just do it. They're easy. I promise. (laughs) Really because, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about body image and teaching intuitive eating to our kids and not comparing ourselves to other people. And all of these things are really, um, are really important and not, you know, feeling like we need to eat a certain way just because someone else does. But ultimately, I love to share that food can be joyful and we don't have to think about it in this like, you know, set of like rules or restrictions or even rules around things like intuitive eating or, you know, make finding what works for us really hard and stressful. So my final three questions are, are kind of revolved around food and, and, um, and finding joy in food and in eating. So my first question is, what is your favorite thing to cook? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. And I don't know <laughs> because I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to make it tonight. And something I'm really excited to make tonight is just recently I found in my, I did a huge uh, cabinet purge or pantry purge this weekend. And I found this little spice 
like a Thai spice package, you know, when it has like, it has like the spice paste, it has the, the peanuts in one thing and the coconut milk. Oh, and I made it. it was delicious. And now my mom gave me today a whole bunch of Swiss chard and I am excited tonight. I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to make it now is to make Swiss chard with some other vegetables in a really good Thai peanut sauce. Mm, and oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm going to put uh, water chestnuts in there. And I love water chestnuts because they're so crunchy <laughs> and it's so good. So after this podcast, I'm going to go to the grocery store and pick up a couple of last uh, ingredients for that one. So I haven't cooked it yet, but so I can't really say it's my favorite thing to cook, but I'm really excited to cook it tonight. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> so have it for yourself then. You're going to answer as well. You know what's so funny? I've never answered these questions. Like I've, <laughs> I've asked them to every single guest in my podcast and I've never answered them. But you know, I mean, I love to cook and I love food, but ultimately I think my favorite thing to make and cook is homemade pizza dough and making pizza with my six-year-old and eventually my two-year-old, but she's not interested right now. But I love pizza. I lived in the south of Italy for um, like a month and a half in college and we learned how to make pizza from like this little mama down the street who had this tiny little pizza shop and then later on in our um, kind of in our, our travels there. Um, so I was going to school there. We went on little travels. I got to make pizza in a brick oven on the side of a mountain. And it was like the coolest experience. There's a cool picture of me on the side of the mountain making this pizza. And so it always brings back that memory. And it's really fun to share that with my daughter. Sorry. Oh, I'm supposed to be the one asking. Yeah. And, and I guess <laughs> as you were just talking, my iPhone alarm went off and it sounded like those, you know how they have those alerts? I think it's fine though, but it was just like, I'm like, what's the heck? It's weird. Anyways, it just caught my oh, attention no. for a second. I think we're okay though. Nothing's crazy is happening here. All right. Next question. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, the second question is what is your favorite thing to either order when you're going out to a restaurant or have someone else cook for you? Oh, order when I go to a restaurant. You know what? I actually really, really enjoy Cobb salad when I go out for a restaurant. I got to say though, probably number one though, is still wine. Like I, Versus food, like I love a good glass of, of wine. Um, Cobb salad, I don't make very often, but I just love it in a restaurant or anything that I don't typically make. Generally, like a cur like a Thai curry or something like that would be really good. Like something that I'm not that good at. But yeah, probably the wine first <laughs> and, and, and then the food after that. But that's Do you have vineyards in BC? Yes. Lots. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I should know this. My sister-in-law lives in BC, but we have not gone to visit her yet. She lives in Vancouver, but I love wine too. We have a couple of vineyards around here, but they're very small and they're still growing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We live in, in British Columbia. There's the interior like Kelowna, Okanagan, um, those, that area. And they have a ton, a ton of vineyards. So lots of wine tasting and touring over there. So oh, how so about yourself? Cool. So I, oh man, I love a really good salad from a restaurant too, because I, I believe it's an art to make a really good, satisfying salad with like a bunch of really delicious ingredients. But I think it's tied with a really good burger too. I love a really good burger. We have this place in Newport, just outside of where I live, um, called Mission Burger. So shout out to Mission Burger. They just make the most incredible burger. Like everything about it is just delicious. Like the burger is delicious. The cheese on top is delicious. Like they, they use sprouts. They have a special sauce. I'm thinking about it now and I wish I did not already have dinner meal prepped because <laughs> that's probably my favorite. <laughs> so my last question is that we talk a lot on my podcast and very similarly on yours about um, finding what I like to call your beautiful balance. So going beyond obsessing over food, but finding nourishment and pleasure in food and in life. So my question is, what does your beautiful balance mean to you? Oh, that's, that's a hard one. What does my beautiful balance mean to me? I think there's a lot of it's never static for one thing it's always changing depending on and I think that's one thing with balance that it's, it's sometimes there's a balance like more over sometimes weeks or months not necessarily day by day but I think for me it is 
purposeful like mission and, and work where I feel really good there. Time with my family and friends and, and connections and really taking care of my health. And that's always been a big thing. It just makes me feel so much, so, so alive and so really good. That's exactly what, so those are the three things that are kind of, that make my life really like full and that so that when I go to bed at the end of the day, I look back and think like I've had a really, really good day. Oh, I love that. And I'm totally with you that balance is not static. It's seasonal and it changes and it's definitely over time. But I love that. That was great, especially on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I talk about finding your beautiful balance all the time. And really the three kind of facets of your beautiful balance that I like to talk about are nourishment. So nourishing yourself well, body, mind, and soul. So taking time to take care of your body and intention to take care of your body through eating foods that feel good, moving in a way that feels good, um, and taking care of your mind. Those are all parts of nourishment and intuition, tuning in to your body's needs and that mind-body connection um, and pleasure or joy. And joy in, in, you know, we're not going to have joy in absolutely everything we do all the time, but finding joy as much as we can in the things that we do. Um, and that's really, that's really what, what balance means to me is finding harmony in, in those areas as, as much as we can. <laughs> It was so awesome to talk to you. This is such a fun conversation. I enjoyed it as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm so thankful to have you over on my podcast too. (laughs) Thank you, friends, so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I truly hope it encouraged and inspired you today to live a healthier life without restriction. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you do me a huge favor and give it a star rating and review in iTunes? Every rating, review, and subscribe helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear it. You can find me, Kristen, on Instagram and Facebook at Healthy Mama Chris or on my website, HealthyMamaChris.com. As a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are intended for information and inspiration only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. See you in the next episode.